Welcome back to the Crown Refs Podcast, as I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to want to improve as a basketball official. I hope everybody is excited and ready for the season and ready to go apply all of this content that we've been covering. You know, it's really nice to talk about best practices and strategies that are going to help us in the game, but it's even better to go out there and flat out execute. I think everybody in this group is going to have their best season ever, and I want to hear all about it. So at any point, if you have any questions or you want to share any situations or scenarios from your games, I am here for your support. In this episode of Video Rules Talk, Zach is back with episode 9, where he covers five NFHS rules that are commonly misunderstood by players, coaches, and officials alike. Zach breaks down these five rules from the 2021-22 National Federation of High School Rulebook. Five rules discussed were closely guarded, basket interference, goaltending, resumption of play procedure, and warning for delay. We hope you really enjoy this episode and find a lot of value out of it. And do me one last favor before you go. Have a great rest of your day. Today, we've got five NFHS rules that you thought you knew. Stick around. What's up, guys? I'm Zach, and today we've got five NFHS rules that you thought you knew. Let's go ahead and jump right in with the first rule you thought you knew, which is closely guarded. The closely guarded rule is 4-10. A closely guarded situation occurs when a player in control of the ball in his or her team's front court is continuously guarded by any opponent who is within six feet of the player who is holding or dribbling the ball. The distance shall be measured from the forward foot or feet of the defender to the forward foot or feet of the ball handler. A closely guarded count shall be terminated when the offensive player in control of the ball gets his or her head and shoulders past the defensive player. Notice how nowhere in that definition does it state that you have to be closely guarded by the same player. If the six foot distance is maintained between two defenders who are guarding the same opponent, let's say after a switch, then that closely guarded count continues. So for example, let's say B1 is guarding A1 for three seconds and and does have that six foot distance and then B2 comes and switches with B1 and guards A1 within a six foot distance for two seconds. Five seconds have elapsed total. The six foot distance was maintained between B1 and B2. This is a closely guarded violation. This does sound odd, right? And it kind of tripped me up the first time I learned this rule, but we do have a case play to help us out. If you've got a case book, this can be found in 9.10.1 situation B. While dribbling in A's front court, A1 is closely guarded by B1. After two seconds, B1 also assumes a closely guarded position on A1, and B1 leaves to guard A2. Ruling. The closely guarded count continues. There is no requirement for the defensive player to remain the same during the count as long as A1 is closely guarded throughout. That's a rule that I thought maybe you didn't know, but luckily, now you do. Let's go ahead and move on to the second rule you thought you knew, which is basket interference. We're going to talk about basket interference and goaltending, which is the next rule you thought you knew, and we're going to compare them to a common misconception that I've seen from coaches and players in a lot of my games. The basket interference rule is rule 4-6, and basket interference occurs when a player touches the ball or any part of the basket, including the net, while the ball is on or within either basket. Article 2. Touches the ball while any part of the ball is within the imaginary cylinder, which has the basket ring as its lower base. The exception to Article 2 is basically a dunk. A dunk is not basket interference and is legal. Article 3. Basket interference occurs if a player touches the ball outside the cylinder while reaching through the basket from below. Finally, Article 4. 
Basket interference occurs when a player pulls down a movable ring so that it contacts the ball before the ring returns to its original position. Hold your thoughts and questions. Let's talk about goaltending, which is rule 4-22, and then we'll come back to both of these. We're going to compare them and then talk about, again, a common misconception that I've seen a lot. Goaltending, rule 4-22. Goaltending occurs when a player touches the ball during a try or tap for field goal while the ball is in its downward flight, entirely above the basket ring level, has the possibility of entering the basket in flight, and is not touching the basket cylinder, or a player touches the ball outside the cylinder during a free throw attempt. Now, I know you've all been waiting, what is that misconception that I've been talking about? Well, notice how nowhere in that rule does it ever say that goaltending or basket interference occurs when a player slaps the backboard intentionally. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. A1 is going up for a layup, the ball is on its downward flight, B1 comes and slaps the backboard so hard that the ring vibrates, causing the ball to fall off the ring. This is not basket interference. This is not goaltending. This can be a player technical foul. Let's jump over to Rule 10-4, Article 4, a player technical, which says, A player shall not illegally contact the backboard or the ring by B. Intentionally slapping or striking the backboard or causing the ring to vibrate while a try or tap for field goal is in flight or is touching the backboard or is in the basket or in the cylinder above the basket. Take a look at both of these definitions for basket interference and goaltending right here. Again, neither one of these has anything to do with the player slapping the backboard. All of this falls under a player technical foul and it can be a technical foul. It does not have to be. According to 10-4 article four, it is a player technical foul if and only if the player does this intentionally. In your judgment, you're gonna have to judge again. Did that player do this intentionally? Did he intentionally slap the backboard? Did he intentionally cause the ring to vibrate? Or was he just going up and trying to block the shot and then he just so happened to slap the backboard and just so happened to make the ring vibrate? In that case, it's a legal play. Let's say though that you determine that that player does it intentionally. For example, the player B1 is on the other side of the rim as A1 is going up for the shot. B1 slaps the backboard on the other side. He made no attempt to block the shot. He just intentionally slapped the backboard. Now the ring has vibrated and the shot falls off the ring due to that vibration. By rule, this is not goaltending. This is not basket interference and you cannot count that basket. What you can do though, by rule, is assess B1 a player technical foul. It's a scenario that I've seen in a few of my games where coaches and players want that to be a goaltending. They want that basket to count, but by rule, it does not count. Again, it's a player technical. Hopefully that cleared up a little bit of confusion. If you've ever seen that play in your game, let me know in the comments. I want to know how did players react to that? How did coaches react when you didn't count that basket and instead you gave them a technical foul? The next one that you thought you knew was the resumption of play procedure. You can find the definition of the resumption of play procedure in rule 4-38, but I'm going to go ahead and jump over to rule 7-5. The big question is, and the reason I bring this up, is when can we use the throw-in procedure? Let's take a look at Article 1 and let's find out. Looking at 7-5 Article 1, when a team does not make a thrower available after a timeout or the intermission between any quarter, the resumption of play procedure is used to prevent delay. The administering official will sound the whistle to indicate play will resume. In each situation, the ball shall be put in play if team A is ready or it shall be placed on the floor. The throwing count shall begin and if a violation occurs, the procedure will be repeated for team B. Following a violation by one team only, if that team continues to delay when authorized to make a throw in, it's a technical foul. 
Finally, D, following a violation by both teams, any further delay by either team is a technical foul. So now we know that we can use the resumption of play procedure when a team does not make a thrower in available. Are there any other times we can use this? That answer is yes, and to answer this question, we can jump over to rule 8-1. We can also use the resumption of play procedure if a free thrower is not made available. The rule reference for this is rule 8-1, article 2. Following a timeout or intermission, the resumption of play procedure may be used to prevent delay. The administering official shall sound the whistle to indicate that play will resume. The ball shall be placed at the disposal of the thrower or placed on the floor at the free throw line and the count shall begin. Either or both teams may be charged with a violation. Following a violation by one or both teams, if the offending team continues to delay, a team technical foul shall be ruled. So let's say we have a timeout a free thrower is not made available directly after that timeout, we can blow the whistle, use the resumption of play procedure, and put that ball on the floor. We then would know by the free throw restrictions on the shooter that that shooter has 10 seconds to shoot. Those are two examples of each time when the resumption of play procedure can be used. When a team fails to provide a thrower in, or we could use it in a free throw scenario when a free throw shooter is not provided or is not at the line. The last rule we're going to talk about today, and the last rule that you thought you knew, is the warning for delay. There are four times when we can use a warning for delay. Let's go over to rule 4-47. A warning to a team for delay is an administrative procedure by an official which is recorded in the scorebook by the scorer and reported to the head coach. The first time we can use a warning for delay is in Article 1. For a throw-in plane violation as in rules 9-2-10 and in rules 10-2-1c. Let's jump over to that first one, rule 9-2-10. The opponents of the thrower shall not have any part of his or her person through the inbound side of the throw-in boundary line plane until the ball has been released on a throw-in pass. So the defender on a throw-in scenario is not allowed to break the vertical plane of the boundary line. The first time I do it and I reach over, it's a warning for delay. The second time I do it, I reach over, it is a team technical foul. The second warning for delay is in Article 2 of 4-47. For a huddle, by either team and contact with the free thrower as in rule 10-2-1D. If two or more players are huddling in the free throw lane, we have a warning for delay. If they do it again, it's a team technical foul. It's also a warning for delay if a defensive player makes contact with the free thrower. Kind of makes sense if the defensive team makes contact with the free thrower, they are delaying his or her attempt to shoot that free throw. The first time, again, is a warning for delay. The second time is a team technical foul. The third type of warning for delay is found in Article 3 for interfering with the ball after a made basket. This is the most common one that I see and probably you guys see as well. After a made basket, usually A1, the scorer will slap the ball and it goes away from the end line. That's a warning for delay. Again, that's the most common one that I think everybody's kind of familiar with. The last one is in Article 4 for failure to have the court ready to play following any timeout as in Rule 10-2-1F. A great example of that is let's say a coach wants to be sneaky and they want to have more time to talk to their team. So they accidentally get somebody to bump them, you know, and then water goes on the floor. Great tactic. You know, I guess it's smart. It's sneaky, but you're probably going to get caught and hit with a warning or a team technical. A common question that comes up, though, is what if we have a warning for one category of delay and then later in the game, we have a, another warning for a different category? Like, for example, in the first quarter, A1 slapped the ball, delaying the game. You know, so we have a delay again warning there. Later in the game, A2 receives a boundary plane warning. Now, what do we have? Do we have a technical foul in this scenario? The answer is absolutely yes. 
If you receive one warning for a delay of any category, and then at any point during the game later, you receive another warning in a different category, it does not matter. It is still a team technical foul. Hopefully today we have cleared up some of your confusions on the rules that you thought you knew. If you like this video, please take a second to consider subscribing, liking the video, and maybe leaving me a comment letting me know which one was your favorite rule that you thought you knew. All of this interaction really helps the channel, it helps me grow, and it helps me reach other officials. After you've done that, make sure you check out some of my other videos here. Thank you guys, and I'll see you in the next video. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You know, if Crown Refs has brought you any value in the past, I would really appreciate if you would consider joining us in our new private community for basketball officials on the Patreon and Discord apps. We have three different tiers of access and content available. We have Crown Refs Pro, Crown Refs Plus, and Crown Refs Mentor. This is uh, next level stuff. If you've been a fan of the content or the podcast for the past few years, or you've been a day one supporter, um, this is the place to be. This is where we have our weekly training sessions on Zoom. This is where we have our live monthly podcast with special guests. This is where we are interacting every day on private channels. So would really appreciate if you could join us in this community. We think you would flourish and definitely accelerate your skills as a basketball official. For more information, you can click the link in this episode description. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. Serve the game.